Yes, yes, it is DJ Ski from Dash Radio, and you are now listening to the number one South Asian radio station in the world. I'm talking about Ruckus Avenue Radio, Dash Radio's exclusive South Asian station. Let's go. I'm a doctor, a father, an American, and Indian. I've had conversations about life with people of every walk, and as I frame the South Asian experience, I seek out the stories of people and their purpose. And what they tell me over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and on this week's episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, join me for a conversation with Anusha Dandekar and Sujata Day. Stay tuned. Confidence and trust are the cornerstones of how we often make choices, and this personal journey is quite familiar for Anusha Dandekar. Growing up in Australia, she found her professional home in India as an MTV personality, a performer, a model, and an entrepreneur. Her latest endeavor includes a new brand of skin products called Brown Skin Beauty, designed to empower women in a socially conscious way. I was excited to have another Dandekar on the program, and since Anusha's energy is infectious, it clearly made for great conversation. Anusha, more than anything else, you do realize that, you know, by doing virtually nothing, you've already doubled the population of Dandekaras on this radio <laughs> so how does that feel? <laughs> Woo! Yeah. My parents will be very proud. I that's think. right, that's right. Um, well, you know, uh, I wanted to actually just ask you, this has been such a weird year for everyone overall, and mm-hmm. Um, lots of chaos and lots of difficult things, but um, has has COVID-19 taught you something uh, to be optimistic about at all? Oh, I think a million things. I know that sounds crazy because we're just like, what? (laughs) What could it teach you? Um, I think one of the biggest things is gratitude um, for every little thing that we think is little becomes so huge, you know, just healthy, healthy family, um, mm-hmm. our healthy life, a roof over our head, a meal every day, running water, uh, you know, those things that we take for granted every single day um, yeah. just become magnified um, and you just realize, oh my God, you know, I have to count my blessings every single day. Yeah, yeah. But when you talk about gratitude and reflecting and pausing and do you think that, you know, for instance, you grew up in Australia you're, you now call India home. And um, were there ingredients of this now that you think about it um, growing up that have allowed you now to embrace that a little bit? Um, so I would say this. I think since I can remember, I've been a big believer in um, putting it out there in the universe. And, yeah. you know, if you really want something, you'll get it, which is how I ended up in India with my dream job. And right. well, I really believe that. Um, oh, I think you as you became a VJ, by the way, I was 19, but I wanted it when I was nine. So, <laughs> right. So, and without any um, fear or inhibition, I told everyone that's what I was getting. Right. So, I think as a child, the innocence that we can hold on to is so beautiful, and and the kindness and compassion. But as we get older, um, I think a lot of we we absorb a lot more that we probably don't need to and we, and we ignore as a child. And so yeah. then fear sets in and doubt and all of those things. And as you get older, I think people find it harder to chase their dreams because they keep 
questioning every step of the way. And I think what's important is to tap back into the little girl or little boy in you and and then keep moving forward. So when you ask me, um, you know, did I, you know, kind of dig deep from growing up in Australia or whatever, I think maybe just the blessing of my parents giving me so much freedom. I never really knew the difference. Mm-hmm. From from then to now, I always kind of really appreciated that I had this freedom. And I think more so when I moved to India and wanted to be the inspiration or spokespos- spokesperson for women who didn't necessarily have that freedom. You know, if and, that's the yeah. link then. And if the, you know, ingredients of that came from your upbringing, they're now yeah. even magnified um, in India. It, it, are there pieces of now your advocacy for women or the work that you do um are there pieces of that um in your daily life that are just inherently indian i mean how would you if you just had to describe to someone that like hey here's how i would define myself as being an indian are are there concrete examples of that oh um yeah it's crazy okay so when i was in australia i didn't really um maybe acknowledge the fact that I was Indian so much because I was raised in such a Western community. I wanted to just fit in, you know? And so I was kind of just doing what all my friends were doing. And, uh, you know, but the funny thing is I knew I was moving to India to be on MTV in India. When you were nine, right. When I was nine. But I was being so Western about my lifestyle here in Australia. So it was really strange that that's where I wanted to move and without a doubt. Um, And I would still go to Pune every year or two years and see family and love having thumbs up and peppy chips. And I thought that was as Indian as I was going to get. And then when I moved... It's so funny. I've rarely ever shared this moment with anybody, but when I moved, sure, it was overwhelming and it was so busy and it was like, you know, I'm like, oh my God, am I going to be able to do this? But I had this one moment where I sat down and I went, I'm home, you know, I'm home and I don't have to explain myself and I'm really proud about being a brown girl and I really love embracing it and it's funny though I got a little backlash from my own people in India saying oh you've got an accent why do we hire foreigners to be on MTV India yeah and I felt like kind of screaming from the rooftop saying hey hang on a minute I am Indian both my parents are Indian how can you say that to me you know and it was really heartbreaking because I was so trying to fit in in Australia and I really didn't find my place. But when I came to India, I was like, I get everything that's going on here and I don't even need to figure it out. I can eat with my hand and love it. I love, you know, everything I can do. I mean, it's little things that may sound so silly, but for me being raised in a foreign country, yeah, sure. I loved just being home. So in yeah. some in some ways is that is being Indian sort of like um, far far more abstract in that way is it timeless like those anchors eating with your hands somebody <laughs> doing namaskar you know yeah. those kinds of things are are probably not so definable in that way I mean they are timeless and they bring you back um, you know I think if everybody kind of looked at the Indian culture hundreds of years ago it is so beautiful and. Maybe not many people know this. I mean, I post about it on Instagram a lot now, but the Gita is my favorite book. Mm-hmm. So, and that's now, I mean, I read it 
maybe a year ago. Yeah. And, and it became my favorite book in the world. Right. And it's not because it preached anything. It's yeah. because it was all about just being in the moment, understanding that this, you know, this is the now and this body is your home for now. And, um, that the universe is God, like, yeah. you know, not just one particular thing and uh, just being um, kind and compassionate and selfless is, is just the way of life. And so it's like, why, why isn't anybody teaching this in the world? Right. Why weren't we given this book a long time ago? Because it's not preaching anything. Right. It's just, it's just asking you to be a good person. That's it. And one thing with that was, was that after you had that sort of experience in, in reading it, was that a surprise for you? Yes, yes, a very big one because, you know, when people preach to you any certain type of religion, they come at you saying, well, this is the way. The Gita doesn't say any of that. So when I was flicking through the book, I was waiting for it. I was waiting yeah. for it to say to me, you have to do this. And it didn't at any stage. It just said, Oh my God, just lead with love really. And just be kind. That's it. I mean, there was no pressure. And yeah. I think that's a beautiful way to teach anybody, you know, without any pressure, but also giving them the freedom to understand where it's all coming from and why the result would be better if you just lead this way. You're listening to Trust Me. I know what I'm doing. My guest tonight is uh, Anusha Bandekar. And we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, talk a little bit more about her journey as an entrepreneur. Stay tuned. Ruckus Avenue Radio. My guest tonight on Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing is Anusha Dandekar. And Anusha, as a woman and as an entertainer and as an entrepreneur, inherently, what do you think motivates people towards you? <laughs> Um, that's a very humbling question. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, well, if I go off the comments I get, which sometimes are extremely overwhelming and I'm not even trying to be modest about it. I'm really just, I mean, it's amazing. It's, you know, girls say, um, you inspire me to be myself, to love myself, to be free, um, to be good, uh, to laugh more. I don't know, these kind of words that come to me or just, and the, and the maximum is you inspire me to love myself. And I think I couldn't have asked for a better compliment or mm. a better kind of way to inspire girls. Um, you know, I've done a lot of shows where I've had girls stand in front of me, break down and say, uh, you know, I've been bullied because of my skin color, because of my weight, because of my skin, um, just being a woman. I, you know, didn't feel safe. I, you know, had to, I couldn't do the job that I wanted because I was told that girls can't. And so when they maybe not just look at my career or uh, the way I am on my social media or the kind of uh, messages I put out there, even if I can touch one life and tell them, no, you can, mm. all of us can. Then, then I feel like I'm doing something right. And I had the freedom from my parents to tell me that I could. So right. if I can help anybody do that too, and my sisters have had the freedom to, to do it as well. So I've been really blessed to be raised like that, but also I have to understand that not everybody 
um, has that opportunity to be raised like that. But that doesn't mean we give up and don't keep trying to help them. You know, people say that um, being an entrepreneur, running a business or crafting a business is so personal, right? But in 2020, we do so much that is digital. So how do you develop that relationship where you can, as a woman, inspire other women when in fact, it's so tough to have a personal relationship? I'm so grateful that you asked me that question because actually I just want to tell you that. Um, so I had a skincare line called uh, CGG Cosmetics, Clean, Green, Gorgeous. And um, I wasn't, I was, I loved the products and I loved what we were doing, but somewhere it just didn't, I wanted to do way more with it. So we parted ways with one of the partners and there's just two of us now who had like really the same vision. And my vision was just, I wanted to speak to the girls that I uh, am on TV and my audience is watching, the the girls that are my audience. Um, And I know them so well because I've been doing this for so long. And so I changed the name to Brown Skin Beauty. Mm -hmm. And my tagline is whatever you're brown, it's beautiful. And I wanted girls to firstly understand how important that messaging is. And to your, to your question, the answer is how did I get personal with that? Well, during this time, while we're working on the brand solely over the phone and (laughs) over like, you know, you know, zoom calls and FaceTimes and all of that, we're building a brand, um, like redeveloping the whole entire thing. But I also just ran a campaign Yeah. and I wanted all the girls that follow me um, to enter if they felt like, and it was you're eligible no matter what brown you are, no matter mm-hmm. what weight, no what a skin type, whatever it is, you can enter. And all I need you to do is take a picture without any makeup yeah. and also just send in a video saying whatever you're brown, it's beautiful. Oh my God. We got like thousands of entries. Right. And I went through every single one for three days straight over the phone. I looked at every entry and I had tears. Like I was crying because girls were not only just sending me that audition, but they were also sending me um, real life stories about what they've gone through. Yeah. And some girls were messaging me saying, I don't care if I win. I'm just so happy to be a part of a contest for once. Yeah. That being brown helped me become part of a contest, you know? Um, other girls said, I don't care if I win. I really just started loving my brown. And so it was so overwhelming to another level that I was like in tears. I was like, oh my God, this is the best feeling. And this is just the beginning. Like, can you imagine? Is that feeling of um, whether you're a woman of color, a brown woman, is that that pathway towards confidence? Is that the first barrier to break? (laughs) 100% because we've been taught for so long um, that fairer is better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Uh, you'll get married if you're fair. You'll get the job of your dreams if you're fair. There is a skin brand, which I don't want to take the name of, which they've had to change their name now because of uh, everything that's going on in the world. Um, But they were the number one selling skin brand in India and they were advocating for the fact that You'll get married, you'll find the man of your dreams, you'll get the dream job, you'll even win Miss India. Yeah. If you use this product to become fairer. Yeah. And so if you're being told that every single day of your life, somewhere, even if you don't believe it, you'll believe it. Yeah. 
you know? And sort if of you like see this indirect these, messaging that, that happens. Completely incorrect messaging. You'll see these funny advertisements in newspapers. And the first way they start to advertise their son or, or daughter for marriage, they'll right. say, fair. <laughs> like that's the first thing. She's yeah. really fair or he's really fair. And it's like, oh my goodness, <laughs> we've got to change this. This is ridiculous. And, and I just feel like it's time more than ever to have unity. I mean, we, we've got to stop this nonsense. It's really yeah. nonsense. If someone were to hear this, they are obviously going to get the impression of someone who is so caring and so compassionate and has a lot of humility. And is it quite possible to be a caring, compassionate, humble entrepreneur? Or is the assumption that because it's a, it's a competitive business, that it's inevitable that someone is going to get shoved aside? You know, when I was in my 20s, I was ruthless. <laughs> I was like... I was like a go-getter and I was just like, okay, I want this. I'm going to go get this. And, but there was never an evil streak because I feel like I believe in karma so much. There's no point, yeah. you know, um, you can't claw anyone down to make your way up the top. Sure. You just have to know that your talent is so worthwhile that you will get there. Mm. And I'm a Capricorn, so I'm feisty and I'll, you know, seem really tough skin, but I'm actually really marshmallow inside, but we don't really like to show that side at work. <laughs> <laughs> but um, coming into my 30s, then I kind of, I don't know, you get calmer, you get more, like I said, patient and those COVID teaches you that. And I really don't feel um, that anybody's in my way. So I'll have to tell you this. When I first started you know, everyone's like, oh my God, you're going to have to compete with this person, that person. And that is the one thing I think that has never changed in me. I really don't compete with anybody but myself. Yeah. I am the hardest on myself. So sure. really no one can be hard on me because I'm already there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm already there. Like when I watch my show back, I'm looking at it going, oh my God, I need to change this and this and that, you know? And yeah. I'm really good at taking um, constructive criticism. I love it sure. because it helps you grow. So I would actually be upset with producers if they're whispering to each other and not giving me that constructive criticism. Cause I'm like, well, if you're whispering it, then I can't hear you. And then I can't grow. That was exactly what I would say in my twenties and be really vocal about it. So when it comes to brown skin beauty, I feel like there's a place for everybody. Yeah. And if, if I'm going to learn anything from the Gita, then it's like there's space for everybody. You yeah. just have to do you and you have to believe in your product so much or yourself so much that it doesn't matter who comes, you know? You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and my guest is Anusha Dandekar. After a quick break, we're going to come back and talk more with Anusha. Stay tuned. Ruckus Avenue Radio. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, and my guest this evening is Anusha Dandekar. Anusha, I want to ask you something about your experience in marketing your brand or even the experience of being a public figure in a very populated country or even a global public figure, is it easier to sell or amplify people's pain or misery than it is to amplify and sell their joy and their celebration? Uh, well, 
with the current situation, I think it's really easy to amplify everybody's pain and misery. Um, I would not want to do that for my brand because that's just devastating. But I think media in general are definitely enjoying people's pain and misery. And I guess they're feeding off that. And that's how they, I don't know, I, again, I'm just my observation. Uh, I think that's how they're getting ratings and it's really troubling. Uh, I've always said, and I've always heard hurt people, hurt people. This, do you think that as an entertainer or even as a, um, again, a public figure that, there are forces that drive entertainment and public public figures to, in fact, really capitalize on that, on that feeling that, you know, hey, well, sensational um, pain, so to speak, sells. I mean, I've seen, I mean, honestly, in this last couple of months, I have seen even people that are either real celebrities or somewhat celebrities trying to make fame out of things like that. Yeah what is the cost of fame? What is the yeah. cost of, um, you know, money and, and all of this if you have to go in that direction to get it? I think the one thing that you can always um, take away when you have anything bad or negative that you've um, experienced is if you've learned from it. So I just hope that whoever's doing this and getting their kicks out of sensationalized, terrible, negative news and, you know, energy, I hope they learn from it. That's all I can wish. I mean, I sound like a preacher at this point. No, no. I, you know, I mean, in the same, in the same way, you um, spend some of your time mentoring other women, yeah. and that's one of your roles yeah. as an entertainer, but also uh, as someone who's had the experience to be able to mentor, right? I mean, and I won't say that it's not pressure sometimes. I mean, yeah. I'm not like a Bollywood star, but in my niche, where I've created my world, um, girls trust me. Yeah. They trust me to guide them. And why, why do you think that is? How, how have you been able to develop that trust? I think being honest. Yeah. I'm not perfect. You don't claim to be. I have done some crazy things and I have had, um, you know, my ups and downs. Um, I've had relationships and, you know, my own set of personal problems and, you know, but I've lived a life where everything that I've done, I've never hidden from it. Sure. I've kind of owned it and said, yeah, "Yeah, I was not great that time, but I'm better now, you know? And so I think maybe just being that honest with myself, girls, when they look at me, they feel like they can really um, understand or, or yeah. experience me in that way, you know? Yeah. Like it's, um, I'm not unreachable. Like, right. you know, you can sit with me. We can have, have a we relationship. Can, we right. can have a relationship. Yeah. You can come to me and, and we can talk and, and, you know, I hope I can help you, you know? Yeah. But it is overwhelming sometimes. It's a lot of pressure sure. because I'm not perfect. But um, we all strive to be the best we can. And I definitely think as you get older, you want to. But, um, but also, I think there's a fun side as well. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And, um, and I think they've seen that since I was young. They've been watching me for a while. So, <laughs> you know. Well, in that same vein, as a mentor, what are some of the things that you've been learning from those mentees, if you will? Um, mm, 
That's a great question. You know, I'm going to have to say, and this is going, oh, I'm going to sound like a Miss Universe speech right now. <laughs> I don't know if it's people that I've learned from. I really, really think it's my mum. And I mean, here's a woman who is this incredible mother and, you know, really soft spoken, beautiful, loving woman. And then suddenly gets on a motorbike and rides wherever she wants yeah. and was the captain of her softball team and was in a band touring. I, I know her, by the way, she's very cool. Everything, yeah. everything, it's all true. You know, it's just this balance that she had, but then she could raise her kids and was a superwoman of a mother, like, you know, going to work, dropping us to netball, picking us up, gymnastics, this, that, making our costumes, getting us ready for concerts, um, making our lunches, making dinner, you know, washing right. the clothes. Like, I literally couldn't do 5% of what she's ever done in those 20 years. But I just kind of look at her and I'm thinking, holy shit, I can't yeah. complain ever because I can't do what she did. Yeah. But I really want to learn from her because that's an amazing balance. How, how do you tell somebody as a mentor sometimes um, and give them feedback when, uh, I mean, it, are there skills that you just can't teach or you can't develop or you can't cultivate in someone? Uh, sure. There's a lot of pushback sometimes. Um, I feel like the way that I've always uh, kind of handled trying to educate anybody is as cliche as it sounds, but with love because there is pushback. And if yeah. you come at them strong, they're already ready to kind of move away from you. Um, but I think the best, and this is the best advice I could ever give anyone, give examples of your own life. Yeah. Once you seem vulnerable to somebody and real, they completely resonate because then they realize that you're opening up a Pandora box yeah. and then they feel like they can. And then your vulnerability makes them also want to be vulnerable with you. So if I'm ever giving a, a really, if there's a, if there's a girl or a boy that seems very closed and they're just not going to um, kind of break in that moment to kind of let them release themselves, then I will go in with my story and say, yeah. Hey, you know, I have a similar situation here or a friend situation or something. Sure. And here it is for you. And I want to share it with you. So you know that the comfort level is, is you know, there. There's, yeah, there's some kind of connection of there. Two ways. Two yeah. ways. Yeah. Um, we only have a few minutes left, but uh, I wanted to ask you this, um, you know, in reflecting back on not only your career, but the things that you're um, doing as you go forward and some of the exciting things that are, are happening for you now. Um, when you leave a crowded room or a boardroom meeting or a party or, you know, some gathering, what do you hope that people say about you when you leave? <laughs> it's so funny that you asked me that because a lot of the time you always think about the impression you've left and it's like, oh, did I say the right thing? Yeah. Did I do the right thing? Oh my God, did I talk too much? Um, did I not talk enough? You know, all of those things. And I go through those a lot, um, yeah. especially when I feel like my energy that day is not the greatest. Um, but I hope that everybody just feels like, okay, you know, I like her. She's yeah. a good person. You know, that's, yeah. that's the one thing you really want people to say. She's a good person. <laughs> I think because everybody thinks that, it's 90% talent. Yeah. 
and 10% kindness, but I think it's completely the other way around. It's 90% kindness and 10% talent because people want to work with you again. Yeah. And if you aren't the greatest person, they're not going to call you back. You can be uh, the best actor in the world or the best whatever, but if you're a pain, you're a pain, you know? Um, so I think that's one. And um, two, uh, that they want to be around you, yeah. you know? There's again, a again. kind of magnetism that, uh, yes. you know, yes for feeling inclusive and yeah um, and i and i and i have had the the luck of so many people saying i love your energy but i think it's really important and i don't say this enough to everybody um go home and recharge because yeah. when people are taking your energy which is great if you you're giving it and 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 it's amazing um go home and recharge because you know, your energy for yourself is so valuable. And I never really sure. kind of understood that until much later when it was always stage and then, you know, on, in studio and then traveling on a plane and then getting to another and it was just go, 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 go. And then at one point, you're just going to collapse. Everything that is entertainment, the show must go on. Yeah. The show can't go on if you can't. Right. That's a great way to put that. <laughs> you know? yeah. And so sit back. And, and I don't just say this for entertainment. I say this whether you're in business, whether you're in medicine, whether you're in any kind of field, if you don't just sit and pause. And this is why I say COVID may be one of the biggest life lessons because mm. here there were suddenly so many people who had to pause and rethink their lives, all of us. Right. Right. And I think that gave us a really great moment in time to kind of build relationships, uh, maybe start something new, yeah. find something that you love, do something different, you know, reconnect with friends, forgive, you know, f like life is really too short. And this has taught us an immense amount about that. <laughs> well, I think that I speak for just about everybody around you, but, Anusha, it's so great to reconnect. You're 100% kindness. And oh, we're really you. grateful that you joined us tonight. So um, hopefully you'll come back and join us again soon. Oh my God, I'd love to. I'd love to. <laughs> You're listening so to much. Trust Me. I know what I'm doing. Stay tuned. What's going on, world? It's Martin Tuesley on Ruckus Avenue Radio, Dash Radio's exclusive South Asian radio station. She's an Indian American from Pittsburgh with a refreshing honesty and self-awareness, which is what I appreciated the most when I caught up with my next guest, the incredibly talented Sujata Day. As a performer, she played Sarah on the HBO series Insecure and Cece on the web series Awkward Black Girl, both created by Issa Rae. As a director, she's proudly telling stories through her work, blending authenticity with reverence and reflection. After capturing attention for her short film, Cowboy and Indian, Sujata wrote, produced, directed, and starred in her latest film, Definition Please, which recently won the Grand Jury Award for Best Feature Film at San Francisco's Cam Fest. As we started chatting about her films, I asked her whether her family support was any different in developing American films versus a more traditional Indian-based artistic genre. So, because even with my short film that we previously chatted about, Cowboy and Indian, I, like I said, I shot 
produced wrote that in 2016 I did the film festival circuit with it in 2017 and my dad was one of the first people to see the film and he wrote back "Ooh, this has Alfred Hitchcock vibes and he yeah. really enjoyed it and every time people would come to the house to you know for dinner or visiting they would play the short film for them so <laughs> so, so they were proud of it even though it was a very American story but sure. happened to have Indian faces in it. And, and I am completely uh, inspired by Bollywood and Bengali films, especially the films of Satyajit Rai. And I grew up watching, you know, Opur Shangshar and Teen Konna and Devi. And I loved watching these Bengali films, especially because I, I am fluent in Bengali and it's nice to watch a film where I don't have to read the subtitles. Right. And so, so I think I subconsciously did get some kind of a international film education just from yeah. being in a Bengali family. And so I don't think it would have made a difference to them if I was making films in Bengali or English or Hindi. I feel like, you know, for those who are perhaps music as an example here, where they're training to be a classical Indian dancer, they're training to be a classical Indian musician, and there's a lot of fuel behind that. Um, and fortunately for you, your parents really help facilitate some of these. But for those who may be pursuing, you know, more Western-based um, arts, there may not be the same knowledge base behind that. But it sounds like for you, um, your dad really sort of being inspired by Hitchcock films and you know, it was a sort of an appropriate but really healthy blend there. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think there was a healthy blend all throughout my upbringing and childhood of not just film, but, but music and life experiences. Like I was going to India for my summer vacations, going to Kolkata, but then we were also going to Niagara Falls and we were also going right. to Disney World and Epcot Center. So, so there was a really healthy balance of, of all the best cultures. And, and yeah. that's something that I'm really glad about because I'm, I was never torn between two cultures. Sure. And, you know, being a South Asian American, um, there's obviously uh, a lot of drive um, that's built into this. Being able to make mistakes as an artist, um, does this get easier as uh, you make success happen? Does it make it easier to process those mistakes? And for that matter, when you're a South Asian, um, is it harder as a South Asian, maybe with that backdrop to sort of make mistakes? I have never been a fan of perfection. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I've also done a lot of improv comedy. And one of the basic yeah. rules of improv is allow yourself to go out there, say anything, fall down, make your mistakes and get right back up and do it again. And I, that is a philosophy that I adhere to in all of my work, even with Cowboy and Indian, it was my first short film that I was doing that I was writing, producing, directing, and starring in, and I was funding it with my own money. So yeah. I knew that if I did make those mistakes, it would all come down to me. And, right. and I'm not going to punish myself, you know? So I'm just yeah. like, oh, I'm just going to allow myself to go as far as I can creatively and make those mistakes and do the best work that I can in this moment that I can with the budget that I have. And, and it turned out great. And so I, 
I put that same philosophy towards making definition pleas as well, mm. because I, once again, I was putting in my own money as well, but then I had other investors come in. So yes, there were a couple people there relying upon me, but I was still 100% creatively, it was under my control. So once again, I allowed myself to be like, okay, this is the, my first feature film that I'm writing, producing, directing, and starring in. I'm going to allow myself to make those first-time filmmaker mistakes because I know of a lot of people who have shot stuff and they don't want to put it on YouTube or they don't want to send it to film festivals because they're like, oh, well, there's this one part that's not quite what I thought. Listen, in my movie, there's like a lot of stuff that I didn't think was going to turn out the way that it did turn out, but turned out to be happy mistakes. You know, I'm like, yeah. oh, that actually was like, better than I thought it was going to be. So right. through that kind of risk taking and allowing yourself to fail, there's a lot of happy surprises that come out of that. It was just going to say that word that like, you know, with the elements that you feel, you know, they may be mistakes. Um, they may turn out into surprises. Have, have your films particularly after they are, after the work is done, um, do they, do you tend to find surprises sort of like over and over again as you reflect back on them? Yeah. I mean, every time I watch the movie, I'm like, oh, that's a cool thing that happened that I wasn't expecting to happen. And I'm glad that it did happen. And, and this also doesn't mean making mistakes doesn't mean going into, uh, the production unorganized. So I, I was over prepared for this because yeah. I knew I had, I was wearing a ton of hats and, and once I had my shooting script, I put that away and the writing part of it was done. And then I was in pre-pro and I put my director hat on and I was like, okay, I'm casting this film with all my friends. So let me text my <laughs> friends and make sure they can do it. And, and have these, you know, uh, I had a lot of movie dates with my director of photography, Brooks Ludwig, because I knew that once we got on set, we weren't going to have a lot of time in terms of me watching playback. Sure. So, so before we went out to shoot, I was like, okay, this is something that we need to do. We need to go over the shot list. I'll do the storyboards. Here's what I want it to look like. And so I was over prepared for everything so that when th things would fall apart, like something would happen, then we were prepared to, to tackle that problem as it happened because we were so organized in every other sense. Is that the engineer in you placing that together or, and, it, and is, does that come sometimes with a cost? I mean, there are there those who are so prepared that they lose maybe the rigidity or they, they have too much rigidity and they lose sort of the flexibility and fluidity of the art. You definitely cannot lose the fluidity because you, you, you must be over-prepared, but you have to be, adaptive to whatever happens. So I do feel like the, that engineer in me is part of that. I remember one of my first classes at Case Western, I walked into my materials engineering class and the professor had written on the board, engineer equals problem solver. And I really took that in and I was like, oh, that's cool. I never yeah. thought of that before. Yeah. And so that's something, that's a philosophy that I've brought to my set because uh, for example, I was shooting a scene 
and I was in the scene with my lead actor, Tesh Rajan, and in the middle of shooting the scene that I'm also directing and acting in, I get a text from my producer saying, hey, we lost the bar location for tomorrow. Mm. Right. And I was like, no, yeah. but that's, what, but of course I didn't say no in, right. in to all the cast and crew around me. I just kind of kept it in and I went to another room and I was texting in between setups and being like, texting my friend in Pittsburgh, asking him if right. he knew anyone in Greensburg that had a bar. And then he was like, oh, I know this guy. And then I texted this guy. And then we, in between sets and while shooting the scene, we lock down a new bar location yeah it, without causing a ruckus yeah in terms of like what scene we were shooting at that moment or i didn't want to let my cast and crew know what was happening because it was kind of a, a, an explosion <laughs> well, and it, it allows you to sort of um in some ways kind of tackle chaos and really make it yours and own it and it's you know uh, a great mechanism for that matter to to be a leader yeah, and also, what would the point be of me saying out loud, oh my God, we lost the bar location. This is crazy. Right. This is terrible. Like, that is just putting everyone else in an awkward position. Whereas I'm just like, okay, so we lost the bar location. The engineer part of me is like, what's the next thing I need to do to secure a new bar location? So that was, those were the actions that I took in terms of finding the solution. My guest today on Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing is Sujata Day. After a quick break, we're gonna come back and talk a little bit more about her film work. Stay tuned. Ruckus Avenue Radio. So welcome back everyone to this episode of Trust Me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and my guest today is Sujata Day. Sujata, I wanted to ask you, your um, short film, Cowboy and Indian, has this almost signature moment of empowerment in it. And I couldn't help but um, think, is this sort of a metaphorical element to your own journey um, as you've been in, in film? And um, what, does, what has that signified maybe for you? I think for me, I... I have so many different inspirations and specifically for Cowboy and Indian, I am a fan of early Tarantino films and I am a fan of Danny Boyle and train spotting. And specifically for Cowboy and Indian, I was looking at the script in a sense of what I was feeling in Hollywood at the time in that I kept auditioning for these very stereotypical Indian roles. And I was like, okay, how can I take that and flip it on its head? So, okay, I will, I will do the stereotypical accent, but you don't know what's happening, you know? So, yeah. so I, I wanted to bring that thriller aspect to it in terms of films that I loved, that I loved watching and, and take that, once again, that stereotype and kind of kill that stereotype, which is yeah. something that I do thematically in Cowboy and Indian in a way that I, I wanted to show that, yeah, this is like my culture, but you can't judge me for my culture. I'll, I'll do 
the creative work in terms of how I want you to see me. Yeah. And, and that it was a really nice way, you know, one of my first work, one of my first projects where I was able to mix my Indian culture along with um, being American. And also you can tell that the bride is very specifically a Bengali bride. And, <laughs> and, and I lean into that a lot in my yeah. work, even with definition, please, it's a very Bengali American story. Sure. And, and that's what I enjoy watching. You know, I enjoy watching, oh, I want to watch this like South Indian family and what they're doing. I want to watch a Gujarati family and yeah. what's up with them. What's up with this Punjabi family? Because we're all so different in, right. in our traditions and rituals and what we enjoy and what we don't enjoy. So, so that's really important for me in my work. I, I really come from a place of being a Bengali American woman. And, and I like to uh, portray that authentically in my films. Are there not enough of those kinds of, in some ways, jarring rebukes of those stereotypes then as, you know, as are in film or even entertainment um, today in American culture. I mean, the, the idea of creating a, a great empowerment scene um, to in, in fact really showcase that, um, you know, do we need more of those? Um, uh, or or are, we, are we at a point where hopefully there, there doesn't need to be those kinds of scenes going forward? How, how do you play upon both of those kind of um, effects there? I think in terms of empowerment, I like to watch films where the message is, is not, you know, overt. So, so with a lot of my films, I'm just like, oh, there, there may be this message, there may be this theme, but, but it really is just about, you know, Cowboy and Indian to me was based on the concept of what if one of the characters in Kill Bill was Indian. Yeah. And that was that was the entire premise of it. And then I was like, oh, but these other metaphors are coming up out of there. So so I think what's exciting is that I don't know if it's a sense of we need to tell more types of these stories or less types of these stories. I think as a creator, you just want to tell the story that you want to tell. And there should be no um there should be no censorship of that, whatever yeah. that is. So if you want to tell a story that that's more, you know, literal in terms of the message that it's trying to send, then go right ahead. And, and if you want to tell a story that's more metaphorical, like, I don't know, like a, like a horror movie with some, some kind of Indian metaphysical elements, like that would be cool. That's something that I would want to watch. And I feel like what's exciting right now in this moment is that there's, a lot of South Asian creators tackling every single genre. And, mm. and that's what's exciting to me because there's stuff that I necessarily wouldn't create myself, but I think it's exciting to watch, watch it come from another creator. Well, I'm waiting for the Bengali Marathi superhero film to come out. So, I mean, that please make that one happen for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I have some things in development, so... <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, from, from that vantage point, um, when you were making sort of definition, please, and thinking of the sort of uh, reverence, if you will, to Bengali film or Bengali cinema or even Indian cinema in general, I mean, and, and this may not necessarily be as crystallized uh, as, as I'm asking it, but 
you know, was that film made with a reverence to Indian cinema informing an American film or sort of an American film telling an Indian story? You know what? I, it's both, but I will say I started writing it as an American film with, which happened to have an Indian American family. Mm. And I knew that I wanted to tell the sibling story dynamic. And I, a lot of the inspiration came from indie films, indie independent American films that I'd watched before, like You Can Count On Me and Skeleton Twins and The Savages. And I would be watching Duplass Brothers movies and I'd be like, oh my God, I love these stories and I love these themes, but, but why are these people always white? Right. And, and so for me, I was like, oh, I just want to tell a story about a family that's going through some stuff and yeah. some issues and conflicts. And the conflicts don't have anything to do with being Indian. They just have to deal with being a person. They're human problems. And so I think what started to happen subconsciously as I was writing the film is that the the Indian slash Bollywood elements or Bengali film elements would just like came through and by, almost by accident because that's yeah. what I like to watch. And a lot of Satyajit Ray's movies, you know, dealt with a female lead in the village mm. and very grounded, real storytelling that was almost the opposite of what was happening in Bollywood. And so I knew that I wanted to tell really grounded, authentic, real story, but there are a couple absurd elements in the film as well, which obviously can be taken from those Bollywood films. And, and music is a huge, huge part of my film. And my composer, Amanda Jones, was, was really amazing and started composing the music when she got the script, even before we started shooting and started sending me some ideas of what she had for different scenes. And she, we would write the lyrics together and, and I would translate them into Bengali or my parents mm. would help translate them into Hindi. I, I feel like music in terms of Bollywood was, was a huge inspiration because I would send her songs that, that I liked that I was like, oh, make it sound like this. And, right. and, it, right. and it would obviously be one of my favorite Bollywood songs. So that, that was something that we were doing, but I wasn't saying particularly, oh, this yeah. is inspired by Bollywood. But as right. I was doing it, I guess, yeah, it just like accidentally happened. My guest today on Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing is Sujata Day. After another quick break, we're gonna come back and talk about her experiences in the film industry. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and my guest today is Sujata Day. Um, Sujata, I'm so curious. You know, there have been a lot of um, terrific, wonderful artists who have been paving the way continuously for South Asian artists and South Asian filmmakers and actors. Um, 
you know, indefinite uh, homage to, to them and in some ways respect to them as paving the way. How have you found it so far, in fact, to in fact be perhaps a mentor to others who are kind of now coming behind you as well? That's the goal of it all, really. You know, something that I've seen with actually young Indian brown girls who are getting to watch the film at film festivals or they're reviewing it for their publications, they come back to me and say, wow, I've never seen a character like this. This is, I've never seen myself on screen before and you've done it. And, and a lot of them are writers themselves. So they come back and they're like, oh, this is, this is inspiring me to write my own thing and put it out. And I'm like, great. That's exactly what I want to happen out of people getting to see definition, please. I want you to be inspired. I want you to understand that your story, your authentic story is important and that I want to see it. For how long have we seen the same stories coming out of Hollywood day in and day out? And, and I'm just someone who's interested in seeing a myriad of experiences and people and countries on screen. So for my film to inspire others to make their own art out of it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a movie, but it could be a song or a poem right. or an article or I don't know, anything, anything. you know, a sculpture. <laughs> that, that is the goal. That's the ultimate goal of my work and have there been mentors along the way who've sort of like been able to now sort of shape that that sentiment in you as you've come forward i mean my number one mentor slash friend slash inspiration is definitely Issa ray from awkward black girl when i started doing awkward black girl over oh my gosh i think it's like nine years ago now um, when we just first started that, we obviously didn't think it was going to become what it did become. And that was when I was acting on Opera Black Girl, that's when I started feeling more confident in my own writing because mm. Issa was writing her Black Girl story and she was inspiring me to write my Brown Girl story. And so I just started, you know, putting my scripts together and getting my concepts and stories a little bit tighter and you know going through drafts after draft of different ideas and different scripts and she she has definitely been my number one inspiration and mm. it's just been really helpful being part of that journey from day one of awkward black girl to you know an emmy nominated show right so on insecure and so that's, that's been really inspiring and helpful. And, and like you said, I mean, there are other Indian American inspirations that have opened the door before us. You know, it's like the sure. Kumail Nanjiani, the Mindy Kaling, the Hasan Minhaj, you know, they've all done their role, you know, Aziz Ansari, they've all done their role in just making that door a little bit wider for the rest of us to walk through. And, and I want to do that for people who come after me. Is there a, an element of um, confidence that gets bred from that? Meaning that like, you know, that as you um, either struggle, but you have the mentoring behind you or you see the paths of others 
it sort of um, allows for that confidence to blossom a little bit more and gets easier for that in that way to start mentoring others? Yeah, I think if you are so close to it and you see day by day the hard work that it takes to get to a certain point and then the fruits of that labor, then you can see it for yourself. Mm. So, so I'm like, oh, okay, that's a path that I, is realistic. And then that's also a path that I can talk about to people who are just starting out or who are just new moving to LA or thinking about moving to LA or New York and thinking about getting into screenwriting or whatever they want to do. And that, that confidence is actually really important in terms of finding success in this industry. So yeah. I, I do feel like that confidence is, is helps buoy you to, you know, having a positive attitude about everything. Well, and um, is there a, in that same vein, is there a danger sometimes uh, in being labeled or, you know, boxed into being a South Asian filmmaker, a South Asian actor, a South Asian director? Um, or uh, does that come with the sort of benefit of that empowerment or the benefit of that representation? It, does that become some kind of uh, balance or, or struggles uh, in some ways as well? So I don't mind being labeled a South Asian American director just because, or actor or writer, producer, because everything that I write is about South Asian American girls and women. So yeah. that's a very specific thing that I write about. I don't really write about anything else. So, so that doesn't bother me particular, particularly, yeah. but um, I can see how uh, there is a discourse around Hollywood right now about the stories that people are telling. And, and I do believe in this moment, South Asian people should be telling the South Asian stories mm. and because we never got a chance to tell any stories before. So, right. so I think that is important and I would want to continue to, you know, bring more South Asian American creators up and even those who don't necessarily want to tell specifically Brown stories. If you were thinking about the person who is out there and they're going to be creating something on um, a social media platform or um, really embarking on telling a story, what advice do you have for them? Meaning, um, is there a particular aspect of this journey or this confidence or this trust that you've developed um, to tell that person as they're creating, hey, here's the, here's the message, here's the secret, um, if you will. So something that I like to say with Awkward Black Girl is that was Issa Rae's third web series. Have you mm -hmm. heard of the first two? You know, so, right. so it's one of those things where like she did, you know, she did a couple other things and then Awkward Black Girl was the thing that blew up. And even for me, you know, I've done a couple web series that have gone nowhere, but guess what? They always led to something, whether it be, uh, you know, something that I learned from creating it or, it would be, you know, I got representation or a manager, an agent out of it. And that didn't necessarily go viral, but it was still something that I was proud of making. And it, and it was out there. And I just never stopped creating because I knew that everything that I created, I would learn and it would get better the next time of yeah. whatever else I was going to do. 
So it's about not censoring yourself and just doing the thing. And, you know, there's so many things on your computer, like iMovie, where you can edit something on your own right. and, and you have everything at your fingertips. There's just like literally no more excuses and right. allow yourself, like we talked about earlier, allow yourself to make those mistakes and learn from those mistakes and then don't make that same mistake again. Right. Well, I'm still, I'm hoping and waiting for both Bengali superhero and hip hop Bharatnagyam at some point. Um, Sujata, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Um, I really enjoyed it. I hope you'll come back and visit us again. I will. Thank you so much, Abhoy. This is Vijay Ayer, and you're listening to Ruckus Avenue Radio.